And Father, we bow again this morning. We come before you asking you to teach us how to pray. To teach us, Lord, specifically about intercessory prayer. To help us understand more of of what this means, of, of what we're called to. So that we might live out the lives that you have prepared for us to live out. We say you make everything glorious and we want to enter into that. Not because of our glory, but because of your glory. And because you are changing us from glory to glory. And we ask, Lord, you teach us this morning and lead us forward in a path that is right and true and solid, grounded in your word and in the truth. For we desire, Father, to be worshipers in spirit and in truth. And this morning with each word that we look at as we study through, I pray that we would not just be hearers but doers, especially today, Lord. Make us doers of the word. And Holy Spirit, teach us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a little stormy outside. (laughs) And I know there are a few people that whenever it storms, they kind of hear the barn rattle and shake more than maybe your typical church building might. Especially those big back doors when the wind really gets blowing and starts rattling. I just don't want you to worry about the barn. It's solid. Yes, the one before it blew down, but it was a totally different thing. (laughs) This one is painted, so that much more solid. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. But thunder, thunder is an interesting thing. I I remember as a a child, um, I learned, I wish I hadn't, but I learned that, that you could count thunder. To know how far away it was getting, you know, you'd hear it go and you start counting. And I was told, and maybe wrong, I don't know if it's scientific, but I, I was told that you started counting 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000, 3, 1,000, and then you'd hear it again, and that's how many miles out the storm was. And I would lie in bed, now this was very rare, Southern California, but I would lie in bed when a storm like this would come and count. You know, just freak myself out, you know, as the storm grew nearer and nearer and nearer. There's an interesting connection in Scripture between thunder and prayer. Before I get there, let me, let me say this about Samuel. Samuel is an amazing figure in Scripture. I think, I think uh, underestimated. I don't think people realize, I haven't realized, the enormous place that Samuel holds, not only in Israel and their history, but before the Lord. Samuel is a great intercessor, one of the most prayerful men you will see in all of Scripture. In fact, Psalm 99 verse 6 says, Moses and Aaron were among God's priests and Samuel was among those who called on his name. What an epitaph. Wouldn't that be great to have left behind when you go on to be with the Lord that they say, oh yeah, he was, he was one, he was among those who call on God's name. She was among those who call on God's name. It says they called upon the Lord and he answered them. Centuries later, after Samuel lived his life and went on to be with the Lord, the Lord declares to Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah 15 verse 1, even though Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not be with this people. Now in that verse, God is angry with Israel, as is often the case because of their rebellion. And yet, don't miss what he says. Even if Samuel were to stand up and pray for the people, I still would be angry with them. In other words, Samuel was a great man of prayer. Samuel stood up. Moses stood up. That's the category that you would place a man like Samuel. 
We talked about on Wednesday night that, that there should be no surprise understanding that Samuel was a man of unceasing prayer. He was the product of prayer. That's how he was born into the world. His mother Hannah prayed. Uh, chapter 1 of 1 Samuel. She prayed and prayed and prayed at Shiloh year after year. Finally, the Lord answered her prayer when her prayer changed from give me a son to give me a son that I can give to you. And the Lord answered that prayer. Samuel means asked for. Or literally, his name is answered prayer. She gave birth to a little boy and named him answered prayer. There we go. It's going to shake a little bit. Just sit, sit calm. Samuel was the product of prayer. Samuel was raised in the place of prayer. This little boy grew up in the tabernacle with the priests. Not necessarily with the best example of the priests, but, but with the high priest Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who were a mess. But he grew up seeing all the sacrifices. And year after year, that day of atonement. And he knew, he understand, he was trained in that place of prayer. And Samuel had proven the power of prayer. Twice, at least in our understanding, as we read through 1 Samuel in chapter 7, and again now in chapter 12, Samuel prays and God thunders. In chapter 7, he prayed and the Lord responded with such a thunder that it literally routed the entire Philistine army. You know, I don't know if they were lined up ready for battle and the thunder came and they started counting, you know. And they just ran. But God caused the thunder in response to Samuel's prayer in chapter 7. And here again in chapter 12, Samuel prays to the Lord. We're told it is the wheat harvest. He says, is it not the wheat harvest today? I'll call on the Lord to send thunder and rain. Why is that significant? Because the wheat harvest was the dry season in Israel. It was not a time for rain. It was not a time for storming. And so Samuel said, let me show you that the Lord is behind what, what I'm saying today. Let me show you that the Lord is connected here. Let me explain how dialed in I am as I prophesy to you. And he prayed, God, send the rain, send the thunder. And crack, boom, the rain began to pour. The thunder just rained forth in the skies. And the people were scared to death, both of God and Samuel. This guy really does have God's ear. A great man of prayer. Well, I said there's a biblical connection between prayer and thunder. And you can read it throughout Scripture. In fact, it's a fascinating study. Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, talks about this amazing scene in heaven. As, as John is receiving that revelation, as he is lifted up, Revelation 4, and he kind of enters into heaven. And he sees what's going on there. And in chapter 8, it tells us that he's watching, and an angel goes over to the altar of incense that's there in heaven. And he takes a censer and he begins to mix in incense along with what the Bible calls the prayers of the saints. And in this mixture he takes some of it out of the altar of incense and pours it out and suddenly the Lord begins to thunder from heaven. Prayer, the mixture of incense with the prayers of the saints resulting in thunder. In other words, when God's people pray, God responds. He thunders from the heavens. Now, this is interesting, and you might want to keep your finger there in 1 Samuel chapter 12 and flip over to Revelation chapter 10 for a moment. We mention another moment of thunder in the book of Revelation. And this one was fascinating, and I, I promised the Wednesday night crew that I would, I would explain this this morning. Revelation chapter 10 and verse 1. John continuing in this fantastic and wonderful revelation, this unveiling of, of end times, of what will happen. And he says, verse 1, I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud. 
And the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had in his hand a little book, which was open. And he placed his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on the land. And he cried out with a loud voice, as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. Verse 4. When the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. Who is this angel? Some have said Jesus. I don't believe so, and and if you want explanation as to why, I don't think so. And to who this angel is, and to what's really going on here, pick up the Revelation series and give it a listen. Because we get into that, and it will be explained. But I want you to look at this, this seven peals of thunder uttering their voices. It sounds fantastic. When you're telling me that the thunder talks, what is the explanation of these seven peals of thunder? Well, the best commentary on Scripture is what? It's Scripture. It's the Bible itself. The Bible gives answer and explanation to itself. Turn to Psalm 29. Psalm 29. For John describes the seven peals of thunder. Psalm 29, if you want to find the Psalms, these are about halfway in the middle of the Bible. Just kind of let it fall open in the middle and you should be pretty close there. Psalm 29, verse 1, where David writes, Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in holy array. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters, and the glory of God thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a wild ox. The voice of the Lord hews out flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to calve and strips the forest bare. And in His temple everything says, Glory! The Lord sat as King at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as King forever. The Lord will give strength to His people. The Lord will bless His people with peace. How many times do we hear the voice of the Lord in Psalm 29? Count it up. The word voice is used in that psalm. Speaking of the voice of the Lord, take a guess. Seven times. The seven peals of thunder. It's the voice of the Lord. The voice of God. The peals of thunder. What is the point of that? The point is that prayer evokes a thunderous response. Well, Rick, my prayer doesn't evoke a thunderous response. I've prayed many, many times, and I don't even get a whisper. And I hear crickets. There's nothing thunderous about my prayer life. I kind of like it. Shared Wednesday night, wouldn't it be cool to be like a fifth grader and be able to pray down thunder on the playground? But even more so, wouldn't it be awesome, wonderful, faith-building, if, if you, if, if I, as, as Christians, could pray... And hear the response. And know that God was listening. And see what He's doing. Experience the voice thundering. Whatever that looks like. Not necessarily a a crack of sound in the heavens. 
But even a whisper in my life to be able to pray and know the Lord is paying attention. Well, the Bible tells us in James chapter 5, verse 16, that the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish, accomplish much. If you've done any reading of the Bible, you know that prayer is mentioned quite a bit. You know that prayer is an issue. You know the Lord calls His people to prayer. And you know at least that the Bible says that He responds. That He does react. That He does answer one way or the other. Jesus said in John 16, 24, Until now you've asked for nothing in My name. Ask and you will receive. So that your joy may be full. I'll tell you one thing. You're never going to hear the thunderous response of God if you don't ask. If you don't pray. If your prayers are just grace over dinner. Or the occasional tossing up, help me, I've got a math test. Or help me because work's going to be tough today. And moving right on. You're not going to hear from the Lord if you're not taking the time to listen. To pray. And to listen. And to be still. You know, Rick, you might say, I'm not, I'm not like a Samuel, and I'm not like a Moses, and I'm not like an Elijah. I'm just not like that. I'm not one of those people. I'm not one of those super spiritual, powerful people. I'm just a little person walking through life. And I don't know how to do what you're saying. You read that verse, the effective prayer of a righteous man, it can accomplish much. I'm not a righteous man. I'm not a holy woman, you might say. I'm just me. And so how can my prayer be effective? You really don't think I can pray like Elijah, do you? You know, it's great. James says the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And then James says, oh, and by the way, Elijah was a man just like us. He had a nature, a character just like ours. If James was here today explaining his letter to us, he'd be saying, hey, yeah, Elijah prayed and stopped the rain, and he prayed and restarted the rain. He's just like you. There's no difference. Elijah was a man just like us, although he walked in the Spirit of God. But hey, if you're in Christ, don't you? Isn't that promised? That indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Doesn't He promise if you will call out to Him, His Spirit will actually come upon you in power? You are not so different than Elijah. You are not so different than Samuel. Maybe the only difference is these men prayed and they prayed a lot and they prayed without ceasing now 1 Samuel chapter 12 gives us much more than the exciting implications of God thunderously responding to prayer and I'll tell you this much if if your prayer life is about trying to just get some kind of exciting response maybe a blip of lightning or something to happen just so you can say oh that was so cool if you're into parlor tricks forget it because God is not But he does want to answer the prayers of his people. And here in this chapter, what's more exciting to me than the thunder is we see in Samuel a living, breathing example of intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer. I've heard that phrase before. Okay, so what exactly does that mean? Let me give you a real basic definition of intercessory prayer. It's interceding on someone else's behalf before the Lord. That's it. Sometimes we hear phrases like intercessory prayer. Or we hear less say, it's time to call forth the intercessors and we're sitting there and we do this. I wonder who they are. Who are the intercessors that that are supposed to be called forth? Because I know it's not me. I'm not even sure how to spell intercessor. 
I don't know what it means. It can't be for me. Intercessory prayer. If you have ever lifted up a prayer for somebody else, you have, have prayed intercessory prayer. You have interceded for them. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 22, verse 30, the Lord says, I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. Intercessory prayer is standing in the gap between the Lord and someone else. Not, not by your righteousness. And we've got to be careful about this. It's not going in between and saying someone has to go through you to get to the Lord. It's standing up for somebody, for a people, for a fellowship, for a lost world, and before God, standing in the gap and saying, Father, I pray that you will save. Father, I pray that you will heal. We pray for Linda this morning. That's intercessory prayer. Standing in the gap. And saying, Father, would you heal her? Stop the bleeding. Would you heal her of the cancer? Intercessory prayer. Another interesting example is in the book of Numbers. Where the people are grumbling once again as they make their way traveling through the wilderness. And God is trying to teach them faithfulness and trust in Him. And they just don't get it. And they grumble and they complain. And number 16 tells us that a plague breaks out on the people. They literally start dropping like flies. And Moses and Aaron in number 16, they drop two, to the ground, face down, and they start praying. And in that place of prayer, something comes to Moses. He realizes something. He says, Aaron, quick, go get your censer. And quickly, go get some of the, the incense and bring it out and present it for the Lord. Stand between. In fact, what he says is, it says number 1648, Aaron took his stand between the dead and the living, so the plague was checked. That's intercession. Intercessory prayer. These people are dying and you are the Lord of, of the living. You're the Lord of life. It's standing up and saying, Lord, stop this plague, please. Forgive your people. So Aaron interceded. It's taking a stand between the living and the dead. It's the most selfless kind of prayer there is. And I wonder how often, well ask yourself, I've asked myself this many times this week, how often are my prayers selfish? It's all about me. All about my life, my experience, things going better for me, or things being more figured out for me, or, 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 or Lord, I just want to be closer to you. Would you, I, I, me, 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 my, my, more. You know, it's all me. Intercessory prayer ain't about me. It's the best kind of prayer because it gets me out of me and starts putting me in the place of caring about what God cares about. Oh, He cares about me. He loves me. But He said that over and over. I just got to buy it. I got to believe that. And then begin to enter into this other place. This is the way, by the way, Jesus Himself prayed and prays for us. Intercessory prayer. He said on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In the most stunning prayer, I believe, in all of history, Jesus interceded for us while at Calvary. While He hung dying. He interceded for those who were spitting at Him and shouting at Him. He interceded for those soldiers that drove the nails. He interceded for the apostles who had fled and left Him to die. He interceded from the cross. This is what Jesus does. That's how He prays for His people. In fact, we're told in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, rather who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God who also intercedes, present tense, for us. 
The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 7.25, He is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. This is what Jesus is doing even now as we study His Word. He is interceding. He is in the process, in the place of intercession for you and for me this morning. And for countless others in this region who right now are not even paying any attention to God whatsoever, who are lost and dying in their sins, Jesus is interceding. Jesus is praying, conviction, that they might be saved. And let me make this absolutely clear. No man intercedes for our salvation but Jesus Christ. Well, you can pray for the salvation of another person. That's not what I'm talking about. No one stands in the gap and takes the sin and takes the sorrow and takes all the rebellion on himself. No man does that but Jesus alone. He is the ultimate intercessor. No church can do it. Your church, I don't know if you knew this, cannot save you. Meeting in this barn will not gain you access to heaven. No man can do that. No priest can stand in that gap. There is no man good enough. So the kind of intercession that we're called to is not the same as that of Jesus. There is a difference. His intercession, He placed Himself. He literally stood in the gap and He took the beatings and the whippings and the death that belonged to us. His intercession is unparalleled. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, There's one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Paul says, For this I was appointed a, a preacher and an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, as a teacher to the Gentiles in faith and truth. And then Paul says, Therefore, therefore, which every time you see a therefore in Scripture, you've got to always understand what it's there for. Okay? Therefore, he says, I want men in every place to pray. Connect those two things. Jesus is the great intercessor. Jesus is the mediator. No man is. He is the mediator. Therefore, because of this fact, I want every man to pray. Every woman to be in prayer before the Lord. I want people everywhere lifting up hands in prayer. Why? Because Jesus, the great mediator, made it possible for us to do so. Jesus opened the gateway. He tore the veil that separated us from God. And now we can go directly. We have access to God the Father through Jesus Christ. Every one of us, not through a priest, not through a church, not through another person, but through Jesus. We now can be intercessors. We now can intercede on each other's behalf to the Lord directly. It's because of His intercession we are called to intercession. Not because we can do what He did, but because He is our example of unselfish, unceasing, servant-minded prayer. Now, go back to 1 Samuel chapter 12 for a moment here. Look at verse 19 and listen closely. It says, All the people, this is after the thunder shook, all the people said to Samuel, Pray, pray for your servants to the Lord your God so that we may not die for we have added to all our sins this evil for, by asking for ourselves a king verse 20 Samuel said to the people do not fear you have committed all this evil I love that he doesn't let them off the hook yeah you're, you blew it big time yet do not turn aside from following the Lord your God but serve the Lord listen with all your heart and the first key to intercessory prayer is simply this intercessory prayer takes heart 
It takes heart. Not a little bit of heart. Not an occasional thought. All your heart. We've heard this phrase before, have we not? Serve the Lord with all your heart. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. In other words, with everything that is within you. Love God. Serve Him. Follow Him. Trust Him. Give Him your life. And intercessory prayer takes all your heart. Jesus responds in Matthew 22, verse 35, to a lawyer who's questioning him. The lawyer says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind. And Jesus says, This is the first and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Intercessory prayer takes heart. If you don't have heart for your neighbor, you're not going to be able to enter into intercession for them. It takes us engaging ourselves with perhaps, perhaps is one of the reasons why we don't pray more. Because it does require something of me. It does take an emotional connection. If I begin praying for Linda, who we prayed for this morning, and she gets worse, I don't, I don't want that to happen. I don't want to have to deal with that emotionally. So it's easier just not to engage. God, take care of Linda and her family and move right on. Praying, intercessory prayer with all your heart means engaging. And it will be painful. And it will be hurtful. And there will be times, gang, when we pray with all our heart for someone or something and what ends up coming out of it is not what we wanted. It's not what we prayed. That's the other thing that's difficult about intercessory prayer. Man, if I'm interceding from someone for someone and they end up getting in a car accident and die lost, why did I even waste my time? Why did I even pray in the first place? Why didn't God answer and come thundering down from heaven and bring about salvation? Why didn't He bring about the healing I was praying for and asking for? Oh, it must have been my own faith. No, you know what? We need to get away from that whole thing of you just don't have enough faith, people. And start just trusting God to do what He's going to do in His way with His great sovereignty and His great understanding. Some people He chooses to heal miraculously. We have Hank sitting here in great shape. Looking a whole lot better than I look, and I don't even have cancer. <laughs> and then we have Linda go out the door and go to the hospital this morning, unable to stay for worship, who has cancer. We say, well, wait a minute, we're praying for both. What's going on, Lord? I don't understand. You don't have to understand. Engage your heart. Pray for these and for others. And know that it may mean your heart ends up broken, but was not Jesus' heart broken on the cross when He said, Father, forgive? Intercessory prayer, it takes heart. Because intercessory prayer is compelled by the love of God. It's not this flowery, fluffy emotion without substance. And too much church is. Too much church is going in and it's punching your church card on Sunday morning and leaving. Okay, I got, I got my grace points for the week. I'm good to go. Instead of engaging in a life that is not always easy. But it's saying, God, I'm going to walk with you and I trust you. And even in the worst of times, when I don't think a single one of my prayers, when I'm not hearing any response, I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep interceding. I am not going to give up. That's the heart of a pastor. 
Pastor Paul expressed it this way. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, Out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. Paul's heart was wrenched in his body in the missionary work that he was called to do. He was not a cold-hearted guy. His heart ached for his people. We know his heart ached for his people, Israel. Romans chapter 9, he said, I could go to hell for them if I thought that would make any difference. And we have Paul's own words in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, where he says, There is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. I labor under this, Paul says. Well, I thought Christianity was love and joy and freedom. It is love and joy and freedom, but it's real love. And it's real joy and it's real freedom which recognizes there is real pain in this world and doesn't shy away from it. Intercessory prayer, it takes heart. We are called to that, gang. Verse 21, Samuel says, You must not turn aside, for then you would go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver because they are futile. And the intercessor believes that prayer is not futile. It is not one of those futile things that we do. I only pray for them, but you know, whatever. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe prayer is an exercise in futility? Do you believe when you pray or do you think that, you know, I'm just not... There are other people at church who take care of the praying, you know. I take out the trash. That's what I do, you know. Not implying you, Spence. <laughs> is prayer an exercise in futility? Oh, we can pray for him, but I don't really see the point. I bow my head, but what's going to happen is going to happen. I'm not going to make any difference. Thunder's not going to come down for me. If you're in that place before God, I want you to listen to the next verse. The Lord will not abandon His people. If you don't have that underlined in your Bibles, you should underline that. The Lord will not abandon His people on account of His great name. Because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for Himself. We think, you make everything glorious, what does that make me? Glorious. I love the aha that that Barb got this morning when we were playing, playing through that song. We're playing along and you make everything glorious and it's a great little praise song. Woohoo, you know, we sing songs like this and then suddenly the point hits. I am yours. What does that make me? <laughs> Bing! Glorious. The Lord will not abandon his people. He's been pleased to make you a people for himself. The second thing to know about intercessory prayer, it does not only take heart, but it depends. It depends. Listen to me. It depends on God's heart. If God did not have the heart that he has, our intercessory prayer would be futile. But gang, he does have the great heart. If you think your prayers are futile, you're forgiving or forgetting this crucial thing, he does not abandon his people. He never gives up. We may give up, our faith may fail, but he does not. He's looking at your marriage and he's saying, I can make it work. He is looking into your life and saying, I can bring about peace. He's looking at your future and saying, it's a good one if you'll walk with me. He's looking at your financial situation and saying, I got you covered. I knew those bills were coming long before you did. Trust me. Intercessory prayer depends on God's heart. Listen to this psalm. Let me just read this to you. Psalm 16. 
Verse 5, David, another great intercessor. He is, he's praying, he says, The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. He says, The lions have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my, my mind instructs me in the night... I have set the Lord continually before me because He is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. Listen, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, to Hades, to hell. You're not going to abandon my soul, Lord, David writes, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You'll make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Now I know, and maybe you've heard, that this verse is prophetic. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. See, Peter tells us in Acts chapter 2 that that's talking about Jesus. But let me tell you something fantastic. It is also talking about you. David is talking about himself. I'm going to die someday, but you're not going to abandon me. He gets this bright idea, this amazing idea from the Spirit. Even after I die, God's not forgetting me. He's not abandoning me. He's still God. He will not leave me there to watch, but will rescue me. How many times will we hear about the faithfulness of God before we really believe He does not abandon us though we may feel abandoned? He does not leave us though we may feel lost. It's feeling that gets us confused, not truth. The truth is He does not abandon His people. And even this morning, if you're sitting in a place of despair, God is here and He's with you and He has not left your side. An intercessory prayer takes that understanding it depends on God's heart which is secure and solid and always there. God does not give up. An intercessor knows that and says if God doesn't give up neither will I. Because I know if He doesn't give up it's going to happen. He will see to His perfect will. And all i got to do is pray in that. The truth that is God I'm not going to give up because He doesn't. Hannah didn't give up. Samuel's mom He had a phenomenal example of this. Samuel's very existence was because of the tenacity of his mother's praying. She did not give up. Intercessory prayer depends on God's heart, not yours. Your heart may falter. It may flutter from time to time, but God's heart is stable and secure. And so praying that truth. Number three, final one, and most important, I believe, intercessory prayer demands unceasing hope. Verse 23. Moreover, Samuel says, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and in the right way. Samuel says, Israel, you've rejected me. You've rejected the Lord. But if I stop praying for you right now, it would be no less than a sin before God. Now, don't miss this. Because I've never seen this in the Bible before. Samuel is saying, If I don't pray for you, I'm sinning. Is that true? I mean, is that, is that a legitimate statement? Is it really a sin to stop praying for someone? To give up? In interceding? Is that truly a, a sin? Well, what does the Lord desire? What is it that the Lord wants? More than anything else, if you think about what's on God's mind, what does He say again and again? John 3.16 For God so loved the world 
that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. This is on God's heart. Though we may forget, He never forgets those who are lost among us. Those who right now are walking in a place of sorrow and sadness because they do not know Jesus as Lord. God has not forgotten. It is always on His heart. What else does God desire? Romans 8.29 tells us He desires for us to be conformed to the image of His Son. Paul says in Ephesians 4 that He desires for us to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body, being fitted and and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the body to grow for the building up of itself in love. God desires the salvation of lost people, and he, He desires the conformation of saved people. And in these things, we see God's heart, we see God's desire. You could call that God's bullseye. What does that have to do with sinning and and when I stop praying, listen, if God's bullseye is saving people and conforming saved people to the image of His Son, if that's His bullseye, we need to understand that's His aim for us in this world. In the New Testament, the Greek word for sin is hamartia. Hamartia. Literally, it is an archery word. If you fire off an arrow and you don't hit the target dead on, you don't hit the bullseye, It's hamartia. You've missed it. You haven't hit where you're supposed to hit. Hamartia. That's the word that's used throughout the New Testament for sin. We are missing the bullseye. We are missing the mark. And Samuel says, if I stop praying for you, which is God's heart and God's desire, I miss the mark. Israel, if I stop praying for you now, I sin before God. Why? Because God wants Israel saved. If you and I stop praying for friends, for family who don't know Jesus, and and let me just say this, because I know a few of you are are exhausted with the whole idea of trying to get family members to believe in Jesus. You're through with the arguments. You've had enough. It's just every time you get together, all it does is ruin the holiday. And you just don't even know what to say. You don't want to enter into that place of tension. That's fine. Don't stop praying for them. Don't stop praying for them because if you do, it is hamartia. It is missing the mark. God is still wanting them to be saved. He has not given up. Which is why I say intercessory prayer is unceasing in its hope. Now someone might say, Hey, if I'm processing all this right, it sounds like what you're saying is God needs me to pray to to accomplish His work. Exactly. He has connected you and me. This is amazing. He has tied us to His power. He has wired us in to what He's doing. And He's even, he's even to a degree limited His power to our willingness to pray. That is amazing. That's unbelievable to me. Even now saying that, I, I think, Ow! And it's hard to take in that God would look at me and say, Rick, I'm going to do a work in the world and I need you to do it. And I say, you don't need me to do it. Yeah, I, no, I, I need you to do it. Oh, Lord, you can find someone else to do it. This was the conversation I had four years ago before the bridge started. It's the exact conversation. You don't need me to do it. Other people can do it. 
Yeah, but I want you to do it. Yeah, but you don't need me to do it, Lord. You know, you can find some. I, I, I want to go somewhere else. I want to do this. No, but I, I would like you to do it. And I remember saying to the Lord in, in prayer about this whole thing. I remember saying, Lord, can't you find someone else? And the Lord said, well, what if you do leave? What if you do just kind of head out of state? What if you don't stick around and, and do this, this church thing that I'm calling you to? And he started through this whole week, and I, I remember this whole thing so vividly, he started putting faces in my mind. I started seeing people. And could hear the Lord saying, what about her? What about him? What about this guy? What about that family? And it was really hard because I kept thinking, yeah, but what about someone else doing it instead of me? You don't need me, do you? Yes, I do. You know what Jesus said to Peter? Again, mind-boggling. Matthew 16, 19. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Here they are. There you go, Pete. How many 16-year-olds have stood there when Dad handed them the keys to the car? I remember the first time. Here are the keys, son. And, and I, you know, I reached out to take them and he went, huh? Let's think about this. Okay. He says, let me read this to you. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And what this tells me is that God determined to partner with man for the purpose of salvation. Oh, he could do it without us. Absolutely. He's going to do it without us. During the tribulation, it's going to be all God, no us. But he wants to do it with us. The keys are his. The power is his. The church is his to build. But that church, that power, those keys are handed to us to be engaged in the process, to be part of what he's doing. And listen. Little picture in the personal realm, what he's doing may be as simple as your marriage. That may be God's great call to your life. It may be as simple, parents, as your children. My children are grown and raised and out of the house. God may still be calling you to intercede for your children. It may be that simple. Oh, but I want to do great things for the church. You are. You are. When you intercede for the people that God has placed in your life. You ever get in that place again where where you're so frustrated and it may not even be praying for salvation. It may just be you're trying to get someone in your life to change. And they're not. And you've tried everything. God would say, take the next step and start praying. Start praying. Start Just intercede. Unceasingly. Don't stop. Don't give up. The Lord is developing right now with the keys to the kingdom. He is developing in you and in me kingdom responsibility. He's teaching us. That's part of His whole reason of engaging us in the process is He's developing kingdom responsibility for us now so that when the kingdom comes, we know how to walk in it. We know what doors the keys go into. We know how we're supposed to live. And the training is not always easy. I know when my dad handed me the keys two weeks later, I had an accident. It's not always easy. It doesn't always go real well. I'm driving much better these days. 
But it's taken a few years to learn how to do that. You might say, well, by that way of thinking, we should all be intercessors exactly. When Les stood up here and said, it is time for the call to go forth to the intercessors, don't look around your row and see who's being called because it's you. It's you. You are being called as an intercessor. Have you noticed in the list of spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, where the spiritual gifts are listed, prayer is not one of them. There is no such thing as the spiritual gift of prayer, which means every one of us are called to pray. It's not for someone else. It is for you. It's for me. It's not just for less and the gang who meet on Thursdays. Yeah, we have intercessors at our church. Kind of cool. I'm not one of them, but they meet. You are one of them. You have been called to it. All believers have been called to this unceasing hope that we would intercede for people. Paul says this, Romans 1, verse 9, he says, and talk about an intercessor, for God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of His Son is my witness how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers. And when Paul wrote that, he hadn't even been to Rome yet. He didn't even know these people. But he was interceding on their behalf. Ephesians 1.16, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, to the church at Philippi, Paul writes, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul says, I pray because I'm confident of this thing, that he who's begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We'll complete it in the day of Jesus. So I keep praying for you, Philippi. Thessalonica, he says to the church there, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says then, pray without ceasing. And I read all those letters and I go, yeah. If Paul is praying for the church in Rome and Ephesus and Philippi and Thessalonica and if he is carrying every day the burden for all the churches and he's telling me he's praying for all of them, it seems to me that would take an awful lot of time. That's right. That's why Paul says, don't stop. You pray without ceasing. I have sat down and determined to pray over this fellowship and it takes forever you people got a lot of problems <laughs> just praying the names takes time you can't just flash off a prayer on your way out the door like you ate a pop tart or something <laughs> are you willing to engage in that kind of unceasing hope that your mind is about the place of prayer it demands unceasing hope it's praying without giving up Emerson once said this he said the hero is not the man who is bravest it's the man who is bravest ten minutes longer that's the hero that's the intercessor it's not the person who prays it's the person who prays the extra ten minutes it's the person who doesn't give up and it is for every single one of us this is what we are called to the prayer of the intercessor can we learn to pray like that? We're invited to. Are you willing to stand in the gap for another person you are called to? 
Can we pray for each other to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? We have to. And I know sometimes it seems hopeless. There are people you're praying for right now and it just seems hopeless. Well, intercessory prayer is unceasing hope. Don't stop hoping. God has not given up. Don't you give up. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which means if you are alive, you are called to a living hope. You don't stop hoping until you're dead. And the only reason you stop then is because you're with Him and you see it was all worth it. A living hope. Romans 5.5 5 says hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And I like this. I heard this recently. We have not been called to a lively hype. We've been called to a living hope. Samuel says, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. That is the prayer of the intercessor. It begins with heart. It depends on God's heart. It demands an unceasing hope, which is why Jesus never stops. Hebrews 7.25 again, always living to make intercession for them. The call is going out to this fellowship to be intercessors. Father, I want to begin by repenting to you for the many times you've called us to prayer and we have not. Like Israel, to say that, Lord, we have sinned and we know we have sinned and we are we're sorry, we apologize. And I pray, Father, those words with joy because I know the moment they are off my tongue, you're already saying, forgiven. And in this forgiveness and in this state of being people who are saved, We pray now that you would lead, by the power of your Holy Spirit, lead this fellowship into intercession. Into being a church that prays more for others than for itself. May our hearts, Father, be enlarged for this call. So that, Lord, when they are broken, there is strength and joy there to carry us on. May our hope be unwavering, our faith be in your heart, Father, and our love be like your love. Lord, teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.